Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi has asked President Trump to delay his State of the Union address because security agents, agencies can't keep him safe during the current government shutdown. In a letter issued from a broom closet, which Pelosi accidentally walked into, while under the impression she was accidentally walking into a men's room, the Speaker wrote, quote, Dear hateful orange man bad, because the government is shut down, we cannot provide security for the State of the Union address. Without enough money to fund security, anyone could walk into the address at any time, whether it was a gangster or a terrorist or just the sort of lowlife who typically goes wherever he wants without regard to the law. Why, without proper funding for security, it would be as if you were giving your speech in San Diego or one of those other horrible little border towns where just anybody can come in because there's no way to stop them. The only other way we could protect you during the State of the Union would be to put up some sort of barrier. But while those always work, we can't afford it because the government is shut down because of your ridiculous request to increase security and build a wall on the border. We cannot, of course, agree to that. So the government must remain shut down and you must delay your speech. Love and kisses, Nancy. Unquote. Pelosi further explained her reasoning to reporters who found her wandering around the Capitol Rotunda, asking the statues there for directions back to her office. Pelosi said, quote, when it comes to questions of security, we must use simple common sense, except when it comes to questions of security. Obviously, the sort of manpower and barriers we would need to protect the president, whom we hate, are not the sort of manpower and barriers we need to protect the people, whom we merely despise, unquote. Negotiations will continue as soon as Pelosi remembers what the hell they were negotiating about. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. You know, there's an old saying that the Republicans are the stupid party and the Democrats are the evil party, and that's a pretty good description of how we found our way to the longest partial government shutdown in our history. Why didn't Trump and the Republicans deal with the border wall when they had the majority in both houses? Because they're stupid. They get tied up in high-sounding rhetoric that delights their base. They disdain the idea of compromise as a sacrifice of principles. And as a result, they accomplish absolutely nothing and leave the only president they have twisting in the wind on his central campaign promise. So, okay, why can't we solve the problem now by giving the Democrats some of what they want and getting some of what we want in return? That's because the Democrats are evil. Not only do they want to resist Trump in any way that will delight their masters in the media, but they don't really care about the issue of border security because they don't really care about the health and welfare of America, because they don't really care about the future of Western civilization, because they hate Western civilization, because they're evil. But I repeat myself. All right, we'll talk about this more in just a moment. But first, let's talk about your security when you are online. Here is something I use every single day, Express VPN, because with all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You're being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. <clears throat> with ExpressVPN, it has an easy-to-use app that runs seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. I turn it on every day. I use it 
all the time. Uh, ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than seven bucks a month. It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. You can protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Clavin. <coughs> That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash Clavin for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com. Now you know how to spell express, but how do you spell Clavin? It's not that hard. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Just remember, no E's in Claven, I just make it look easy. Speaking of things, while you're going online and looking for Claven, go on Amazon and pre-order the first novel in the trilogy, Another Kingdom. Get it now and save the receipt because if you send in the receipt, I will tell you how to do that in a little while. Send in the receipt, you get all kinds of goodies, including a free prequel. Tomorrow is the mailbag. We moved it from Wednesday because I was flying out here to beautiful Gainesville, Florida, where I'm going to be speaking at, I guess, the University of Florida. Is that where I'm going? <laughs> I suppose so, but I'll be speaking uh, here in Gainesville. So I was flying out, so I couldn't do a show yesterday, but I will do one on Friday. Go to dailywire.com, subscribe. It's a lousy 10 bucks a month for 100 bucks. You get the whole year, plus a Leftist Tears Tumblr, and you get to be in the mailbag. You can ask any question you want, religion, politics, uh, personal stuff, anything. And all my answers are guaranteed 100% correct. So you can't go wrong. It will change your life. Sometimes for the better. Usually, ugh, God, you're, you're just too much of a mess. Uh, so, so why won't the Democrats support border security? Give a little on the wall, get a little on DACA. They're not going to do it. And part of it is personal. Obviously, Nancy Pelosi is now locked in a battle with Donald Trump. And I think Donald Trump cares a lot less, I think, about Nancy Pelosi than Nancy Pelosi cares about Donald Trump. I feel like she has to beat him. She has to show that she's in charge. I mean, she's only the Speaker of the House. He is the president, but she is just desperate to show that she can take him, that she's not going to be pushed around. And so now she's written him this letter saying, we can't, uh, we can't be, keep you secure during the State of the Union, which is utterly ridiculous. All of the security services have told her that it can be done. But here is Pelosi making uh, her argument, cut number four. State of the Union address, which she calls what a special, an event of special security. Uh, and, and so these people are not working. And we've never really had a uh, State of the Union when government has been in a shutdown since the Budget Act in the 70s. So this is, this is respectfully and sadly, uh, proudly I invited him to come. It was a privilege to invite him to come. That we would have the President of the United States, the Vice President of the United States, the entire Congress of the United States, House and Senate, the Supreme Court, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Cabinet of the United States, did I say that, and the Diplomatic Corps, all in the same room. This is an, requires hundreds of people working on the logistics and the security of it. Most of those people are either furloughed or, or victims of the shutdown, the president's shutdown. So, but she's lying, basically. I mean, all the security services have said they can take care of this. But the interesting thing here, just as, a new, as the news story part of this, the interesting thing is she is getting pushback from her own side, which wasn't happening before, wasn't happening when she was standing up for the wall, which indicates to me that the rumblings coming up from the ground into the Democrat Party uh, maybe you're telling them, you know, even though Donald Trump is taking the blame for the shutdown in the polls, 
people are beginning to think, well, they are being unreasonable. I think they are being unreasonable. So first, there's Joe Manchin. He's, of course, from West Virginia, where Trump won by like 68%. He held on to his seat in the midterms by voting for Kavanaugh. Once he knew that Kavanaugh was a shoo-in, that Kavanaugh was going to win, there was no real political courage there, but he did support him, and that helped him win back his seat. And now he's making noise like, eh, you know, I mean, it's, it's unprecedented. It's unprecedented to disinvite the president from giving the State of the Union address. I know, it, you know, I know conservatives are saying, well, in the old days you wrote a letter and it's an anti-democratic, you know, institution that makes him look like a king. Look, it's a TV world. He gives the State of the Union address. It has become something of a tradition. This is unprecedented and it is really out of line what Pelosi is doing. It's just a pure political ploy. And Manchin is pushing back. Here's him. I'm not sure what her intentions are. I have the utmost respect for Speaker Pelosi, uh, but I think this is wrong approach to be taking right now. Her approach? The approach by saying we're going to shut this down and not have uh, because of security. I think our staff, and I spoke to the Capitol Police, I think they're still in place and they're still getting paid. So do you think then that the president should come and deliver a State of the Union no matter what on the 29th? Well, it's not no matter what. I think he has to be invited by the House, as I understand, because we're in their chamber. Sure. Would you encourage the Speaker to reconsider and to allow the president to I would always encourage that we should try to have every type of, of respectful dialogue dialogue that we possibly can. I just I just don't buy where I come from in West Virginia. We just don't act this way. Well, here in Washington, apparently they do because we're apparently. in this. Day. That's uh, Hallie Jackson from MSNBC. Uh, and, you know, Manchin has his back to protect. He's got to be, you know, he's got to seem reasonable to all those Trump supporters in his state. But more importantly, was what Steny Hoyer, Steny Hoyer, the, who's the uh, Democrat majority leader, he went on Brett Baer's show, and he basically hit really at the core of Pelosi's argument, because Pelosi has been using this very high-tone, base-directed uh, rhetoric uh, that the wall is inherently immoral and, the, and it won't work. And basically, Steny Hoyer said to Brett Baer, you know what, sometimes walls do work, and he also said this. I don't think this is an issue of morality. It's an issue of uh, does it work? And uh, Senator Cornyn, Senator uh, Graham, other members of the United States Senate have have put in question whether a wall works, whether that is the best way to secure the border. Uh, Now, are are some restraints? We've supported substantial restraints. We've supported fencing. Uh, We've supported other uh, technologies. Uh, So uh, my own view is this is not an issue of morality. A wall is immoral if it tries to uh, imprison people who shouldn't be imprisoned. Okay. Uh, a wall you, is, uh, that protects people is not immoral. I you think have the issue is whether it works. See, that, that is hitting at the core of the Democrats' arguments because the Democrats, the point is, the Democrats are trying to distract people, their people, and you from the actual issue that's being argued. The issue is border security and Trump's wall. That is the issue. They keep saying, oh, the poor federal workers, the 800,000 workers aren't being paid. Oh, the poor immigrants, look how sad, look at the sad children. It's a simple question. Do they want to protect the border or not? And essentially by saying it's immoral to build a wall on the border of your own country to keep people out when they're coming in, something that all a lot of countries have done, something that works every time it's done. Trump has said, I think it's upward of 10 times he has said that he doesn't want a wall across the entire border. That's a false argument. He just wants a wall where it's going to make sense. He doesn't care if it's a wall. It can be a barrier. He's obviously willing to compromise, but Nancy Pelosi is not willing to compromise. And I think it's fair to ask, 
why don't they want to protect the country? Now, a lot of people say, you know, they want the, they think the, de the illegal aliens will become Democrat voters. I'm sure that's true. A lot of people like the cheap labor. That's why the Wall Street Journal, I think, defends this, this kind of thing. But, but really, to say that a building a wall to, to protect your country, which, of course, is an age-old custom, is immoral, is essentially to say that your country does not deserve protection, that something is inherently immoral about the country that you're in, that something is inherently immoral about saying we want to preserve our country. And they always put it in racial terms, like we don't want to let the brown people in, as if there are no brown people here now. I mean, this is a very colorful country. It's one of the wonderful, lovely things about it. It's a country with a million different kinds of people here. We're not trying to keep people out because they're brown. We're trying to keep people out because they're illegal. You know, yesterday, uh, I'm sorry, it was the day before I was traveling, we were talking about Steve King and this big kerfuffle. Obviously, the left is doing everything they can to get rid of Steve King and to tar Trump with Steve King's comments and to tar the entire Republican Party with, with, with what they consider to be Steve King's racism. And uh, just to remind you, Steve King said in an article, he was quoted in the New York Times as saying, white nationalists, white supremacists, Western civilization, how did that language become offensive? Why did I sit in classes teaching me about the merits of our history and our civilization? Now, by the way, since we talked about it, King has claimed that he was screwed by the Times using dishonest punctuation, that what really happened was something like this. So there was no recording of it, and he's saying this is his memory of it, that the New York Times was saying, well, are you a white nationalist? Are you a white supremacist? And what he said, according to King, is he said, white nationalist, white supremacist, Western civilization, how did that language become offensive? In other words, he was saying, I'm not a white nationalist, I'm not a white supremacist, I'm defending Western civilization. Why is that offensive? And he pointed out that, he said, why did I sit in classes teaching me about the merits of our history? They don't have classes teaching about the merits of white supremacy. So I, I don't know whether that's true or not. As I said before, King has said some things that I disagree with that sort of uh, that feel insular to me, that feel that they are attacking the very idea of inclusion that is, I think, part of the American idea. But I'm going to put that aside for now because that's not the, the point. The point that I was making the last time we talked about this was the New York Times, in an effort to tar Trump and an effort to tar the all Republicans, all conservatives as racist, they went and made this list of King's comments, among them his defenses of Western civilization as racist. And they said defending, they implied that defending Western civilization was racist. Well, the Washington Post, not to be outdone, the Washington Post where democracy dies in blithering ignorance and stupidity, actually put out an op-ed saying, you know what? Defending, it says Steve King, this is the headline, Steve King says he was just defending Western civilization. That's racist too. So the Washington Post, this is by uh, David Perry, a journalist and senior academic advisor to the history department at the University of Minnesota. So he's saying defending Western civilization, that's racist too. He's coming right out and saying it. Let me read a little bit of this. Part of the project of modernity has been to justify itself. I don't agree with that statement but let him run. During and after the enlightenment of the 17th and 18th centuries, citizens of the monarchical European powers attempted to explain how they got to where they were by looking to their roots. They started from the idea that their world was better than what had come before. Europe had supposedly crawled out of the dark ages and into the light. Now, 
I agree with part of this. There is what I call the Enlightenment narrative, that the Middle Ages were dark, that the ages before the Middle Ages were dark, that the Middle Ages were in the middle, right? People who lived in the Middle Ages didn't think they were in the middle. They thought they were at the very cutting edge of modernity. But to the Enlightenment people, that was the Middle Ages because it came between classical um, civilization and this new, wonderful Renaissance, the rebirth. That's what Renaissance means, the rebirth of classical situation, uh, of classical civilization. So they use the terms dark and the dark ages. And he says, David Perry says, those familiar terms, dark and light, mirrored the value judgment that behind this investigation of the past, one that selectively privileged white skin. That's absurd. Okay. Obviously, the darkness and the light were night and day, things that, you know, are very difficult for people to deal with. When, when it's dark, it's harder to see, harder to survive. When it's light, you can move about. That's what they were talking about. It had nothing to do with white skin. He then goes on to say, these were, after all, countries ruled by rich white men for other rich white men. So in searching for the history of the West... Now, that alone just sounds condemnatory. Would it be condemnatory to say that African countries were run by black people? I mean, that, it's absurd. So in searching for the history of the West, they ignored stories they didn't recognize, stories of people who didn't act, look, or think like them. He says they didn't pay attention to all those minorities that he, in his virtue, is paying attention to and basically saying... He, he, goes, he goes on to say... Uh, this history still undergirds the way many Americans think about Western civilization, and therefore, I mean, it's a very, very twisted, ridiculous argument. Therefore, when Steve King or anybody defends Western civilization, they're really defending the whiteness of Western civilization. This is an incredibly... By the way, I'm not saying that there weren't people who uh, were very interested... In, all people are very interested in race. All people are very tribal. The wars of Europe which were between white people and white people, were racial wars. It was the English against the French. It was the French. It was the English against the Spanish. It was always people fighting from these different countries, and they made jokes about each other's races. They still do. They still talk about the different natures of German people and English people. It's only in America, it's only in America where we said, you know what? This is an exceptional country where we have an idea, and if you adopt that idea, you get to be a part of it. My point is this, David Perry's entire construction, his entire criticism, is created by Western civilization. It is created by this idea of Western civilization that you can, we can all be as one if we follow certain ideas, right? This is the Jesus idea, that you're one person, people in Christ, no matter whether you're Jew or Greek, male or female, you are one per person in Christ. This has permeated our culture. And I think that I think this this is the thing, that in attacking Western civilization, these morons are attacking Western civilization on premises that they would not know if it weren't for Western civilization, if it weren't for Christianity, if it weren't for these white people who did create this these ideas. The fact that they were white is no more important, is not the important thing. If, if a tribe of blue people happened to invent fire, would you live in the dark because you didn't want to be blue? I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, sometimes history has lots of complications. It has lots of uh, twists and turns, and we don't know why this particular civilization came up with these brilliant ideas. Maybe it was just the fact that God chose the Jews and planted Jesus there, and that spread throughout the Hellenic world. Maybe that's all, all it is. Maybe it's just like the chance. You know, we don't know what it is, why it is, but they're the ones who are concentrating on the whiteness. It is the people who love Western civilization who are not concentrating on the whiteness, but are concentrating on the ideas. And you can see this. This permeates the left, this, this hatred. It's a kind of a self-hatred in a way, this hatred of the basis 
of the civilization that formed even the thoughts they think, even the thoughts with which they attack Western civilization. Karen Pence, the wife of the second lady, the wife of the vice president, is teaching part-time at a private Christian school. And one of the policies of this school is that they will not hire you or keep you in the school if you commit acts of sexual immorality, among which they include homosexuality. So this now, they have just, the, the media, it's all in the media. Nobody said a word about this except the media. The media is going after Karen Pence for teaching at this school. I mean, that's an amazing thing. But listen to CBS. Here's C the opening of CBS's report on the fact that the second lady teaches part-time. Vice President Mike Pence's wife, Karen, has returned to teaching at a Christian school in Virginia where gay students and teachers are not welcomed. Here's Chip Reed. I call my initiative Art Therapy Healing with the Heart. Second Lady Karen Pence's decision to teach art part-time at Emanuel Christian School in Northern Virginia has generated controversy. That's because the private elementary school's website says it may refuse admission or discontinue enrollment of a student if a parent or guardian violates a biblical lifestyle. Prohibited behavior includes participating in, supporting, or condoning homosexual activity. Likewise, employees, including teachers, can be fired for engaging in homosexual or lesbian activity or transgender identity. Those rules would appear to be consistent with the views of Vice President Mike Pence, a longtime critic of gay rights. I hope you were listening. I hope if you've listened to the show enough, you learned to listen to phrases, passive phrases like has generated controversy. I think that when you make that statement as a journalist, you should have to show that before any journalist got his hands on this, somebody thought this was a problem. In other words, has generated, and, and then it says, it says school controversy on the, uh, you know, the bottom third. All of that is generated by them. It is them creating this controversy. What's the controversy? It's a private Christian school with a fairly traditional idea about Christian values. And you know, you can see Chris Cuomo, he does it too. I just have to play this because it's comical what he says. He goes after, uh, he goes after Karen Pence as well. Karen Pence is the wife of the vice president. She's teaching art at a place where the application requires would-be employees to initial next to a list of beliefs, including certain moral misconduct, includes homosexual or transgender identity as being disqualifying or any other violation of the unique roles of male and female. Now, don't cheapen my argument by saying Cuomo's equating Christianity and white power, please. That's a that's a, just a, a slip of an obvious point. I am a flawed, failing, repentant Christian, okay? If I had any bias, it would be in favor of faith. The point is that the value of exclusion is embraced here. <laughs> so I'm not saying Christianity is white supremacy, but Christianity is white supremacy, the value of exclusion. This is a philosophy. This is a philosophy about how sh people should behave with their bodies. As you know, I don't entirely embrace this philosophy. I think that there is a broader way of looking of, at this on the same principles. I accept the principles of, of the principles of telos, of, of people having... Uh, and if, of things having purposes, and we should live into those purposes, but I think there's a broader way of looking at it. I don't agree with it, but it is traditional. It's been around for 2,000 years. And, you know, it, it's the fact that they single this out. Now, part of it is political. If she were a Democrat, they wouldn't even mention it. But it's really about 
the, it's also about the Christianity. It's always Christianity. Why? Because Christianity is mommy and daddy. Christianity formed our civilization. The Western European civilization began as Christendom. It began as the Christian nations, nations united, tribes united by Christianity, and they cannot. It, it's, basic, it's a form of self-hatred. It's a form of unhappiness, but it is a form of hating Western civilization. They do not go to the... I mean, you, you know the kind of tenderness and delicacy with which they treat Muslims after yet another uh, Islamic terror attack. They suddenly say, oh, we'll never know the motivations of the guy. The guy who's screaming, I'm killing you because of Allah. You know, we'll never know his motivations. No, no, it's Allah. No, we don't know your motivations. No, no, I'm telling you what it is. So they, they're so kind to those people, you know, not to, not to spread prejudice against the entire religion, just to say the way they treat them is different than the way they treat Christianity. It is Western civilization they don't like. Why? Because they have a purpose. Their purpose is to acquire more and more power for the government, more and more power for the elites, and that is not what Western civilization, as it is embodied in the American idea, is all about. And that is why it's always the traditional things that they are trying to destroy. I mean, that you know, my... My point is, it's the same thing with that Gillette commercial. The Gillette commercial attacking men. You know, they, they're selling razors and they're telling men stink. Buy our razors. You know, you're a bully. You're a you're a sexist. You are just you are absolutely disgusting. Buy our razors. We love you. You know, and that's that's what they're saying. And I love Kirsten Powers comes on. She I don't know what's happened to her. She's gone loony. You know, she she used to be a little bit more balanced. Maybe it's Trump has driven her crazy. But suddenly she's this far leftist. She goes on CNN and she says. I, I cannot understand, I cannot understand why anybody would be upset by this commercial. Well, it's fragile and they're, and they're privileged, again, to go back to this, that they expect to not be uh, criticized, that any kind of critici criticizing the, of them uh, crosses a line, it's an mm -hmm. assault on them, it's an attack. Uh, they don't want to be held accountable. So I think that if you're somebody who's having a sort of triggering reaction to this, you might want to take a look at yourself and ask why that is. Because what is it about treating women with respect and equality uh, that's so offensive to you? And what is it about uh, sending different kinds of messages to little boys that they don't have to be fighting and acting um, in what this sort of, it is toxic masculinity. That's not actual masculinity. That's not what masculinity is. Um, and, and so I would just say if you're upset about this, maybe ask yourself why. Well, thanks to Kirsten Powers for explaining to me what masculinity is. But, you know, it's, it's like nobody says men can't be criticized, and men criticize men all the time, and they criticize men's behavior, other men's behavior all the time. And, of course, men who act like jerks and pigs come on, get a lot of flack from other men, as, as well they should. But, but when you're se selling us razors, essentially making the point that white, that, that, well, it did say white men, it did make it look like it was only white men, but essentially making the point that men themselves, masculinity itself is toxic, that the aggression that sometimes overflows in masculinity is is a bad thing, that the sexuality that has caused the world to continue to reproduce is a bad thing. It's, it is offensive. It's, a, it's demonizing, and I, they can take their razors and stick them. But, and at the same time, the traditional roles of women trigger these people. This is amazing. You know, Trump had this thing, the Clemson uh, football team that won the uh, NCAA championship uh, came over, and he said, well, the government is closed, so I can't, we don't have chefs, so he sent out for Big Macs. Trump said he was going to pile up the Big Macs for a, a mile high, and they, the Washington Post seriously ran a 1,200-word fact check proving with graphs that Big Macs would not pile up a mile high if he ordered enough to feed the football team. But anyway, as he was presenting these Big Macs to the football players, he mentioned that he thought this would be better than having the first lady uh, make them a salad. 
Here's that clip and CNN's insane reaction. Do we have no food for you? Because we have a shutdown. Or do we give you some little quick salads that the first lady will make along with, along with the second lady, they'll make some salads? And I said, you guys aren't into salads. Or do I go out, Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott, do I go out and send out for about 1,000 hamburgers, Big Macs? So we actually... That's appalling. Uh, it seems to me like the president will not be happy until there is not one single female Republican voter in the country. It's incredibly sexist. It also, I mean, I don't know why I'm stuck on this, but Ivanka is not the second lady. She is actually, I don't think she deserves this position. She's actually a senior advisor to the president. So the idea that he would demean her specifically in that way, he shouldn't talk about the first lady that way. We, we aren't all here to make salads for men. It's, it's yeah. disgusting. I mean- you know, if she thinks that that's going to alienate all of the Republican female voters, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Let me tell you something. Making food for people, your, for your family, making a home for your family, being a mom to your children is approximately 500,000 times more important than mouthing off on CNN or the Daily Wire or doing what I do, doing what I'm doing right now. I mean, these are the things, everything, everything on earth, C.S. Lewis said this and he was absolutely right. Every other trade on earth is built to support that effort, to support the effort of women making homes for people and shaping the lives of children. That is, you know, their disdain for this. So they hate traditional gender roles. They hate men. They hate traditional women. They hate traditional religion. They hate Western civilization. No wonder they don't want a wall to defend any of it. What, are the, what is there to defend? This is the thing that makes this, this battle between Trump and Pelosi, Trump and the Democrats, this is the thing that makes it bigger, bigger than just a question of whether there's a wall. It is what are these people thinking and why do they hate us, the West, and ultimately themselves so much? Hey, tomorrow, Ben Shapiro is taking his show on the road. He's going to the March for Life in Washington, D.C. I do not, do not envy him. It must be cold. Uh, it's at 10 a.m. Eastern. Ben will be live streaming at the National Mall and 12th Street. So if you're planning to be at the march, head over and you can see him there in person. We've got to take a break. We have a really, really interesting, a powerful interview coming up with uh, Abby Johnson, a pro-life activist. Uh, but first, I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come over to dailywire.com, subscribe so you can be in the mailbag tomorrow. Ask your questions. Go to the po- go to dailywire.com, hit the podcast button, hit the Andrew Claven podcast, hit the mailbag, and you can ask me any question you want. My answers are guaranteed, a hundred percent correct, and will change your life on occasion for the better. Come over to dailywire.com and subscribe. Abby Johnson is a pro-life activist who was originally a clinic director at Planned Parenthood, and she decided to quit her job after she was asked to assist. Well, you know what? I'm going to let her tell the story. Uh, Abby's journey from pro-choice to pro-life has inspired many to make the same leap, and she currently works to help abortion activists, especially those working at Planned Parenthood, to turn away from the organization. This, uh, you know, this is not a graphic interview or uh or anything like that, but I personally found it a little bit upsetting. So I just want to warn you, uh, she talks very honestly about what abortion is like. And again, it's not, it's not graphic, but it is the ideas alone are chilling. Here's Abby Johnson. Abby Johnson, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. 
So let's let's begin uh, at the end. Let's first talk about the uh, there's a, a March for Life on the West Coast. Not everybody knows about that. That is uh, January Saturday, January 26th. Did I got that right? That's right. Uh, where where's it going to be? It's in San Francisco. Um, so it's a, it's a fun place to have a pro-life walk. Uh, (laughs) it's always, uh, it's always very colorful, but, uh, yeah, but you know what? There's always a good turnout. There's usually at least 50,000 people that show up. Uh, it's, it's a great event. So the, the pro-lifers do, they do come out. Uh, in San Francisco, in that area. That's well. That's nice to hear. And I just, it's uh, taking your taking your life in your hands a little bit. But I I appreciate <laughs> the effort. So let's let's talk about your personal story. I mean, you you start out um, in a very religious uh, pro life family, but you became uh, what you called extremely pro choice. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, really, really more pro abortion actually um, than pro choice. Huh. Uh, I you know, got involved with Planned Parenthood, believing the talking points that, you know, we wanted to keep abortion rare and we were about women's health care and all the things that you hear from them. Um, But as I worked there longer and longer and actually then got into management, uh, we were instructed to uh, not only have and create an abortion quota, a certain number of abortions that we had to sell, but then in 2009 instructed to double that abortion quota. And for me as a person who came in like pretty, I mean, I was pretty naive uh, when I got involved with Planned Parenthood, that was pretty shocking Hmm. to me that we're, you know, suddenly having to implement an abortion quota and then double it. Um, It it really went against what I thought we were there to do and what I thought we believed. How had had you made the transition uh, from your family's outlook to being pro-abortion? How did that happen? You know, I was I I was a college kid when I got involved with Planned Parenthood, which is you know super common. They're on college campuses. Yeah. Um, but I I just didn't know anything about them. I mean, you know, I grew up in South Louisiana. There were no abortion clinics anywhere around us. No Planned Parenthoods. Uh, my family was pro life, but it's not like we were activists or anything. You know. Right. Right. Uh, so it was like abortion's wrong. You shouldn't. You know, women shouldn't have abortions, and that was sort of it. So. I think, you know, I think when I met the woman with Planned Parenthood who recruited me to, to volunteering there, I think it was really, um, I just really wanted to believe what she was telling me. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you don't, you know, I didn't really look into it. I mean, she just says, this is what Planned Parenthood's about. This is what we do. Uh, you know, at no point in time did she say, hey, abortion, that's our primary, <laughs> that's our primary target here. Uh, it was really all about family planning and helping women. And I think I just really got suckered in. I was young. I was naive, um, you know, trying to believe in, you know, women's freedom and women's rights and all of this sort of thing. And uh, but it's interesting. I tell people never trust a decision you wouldn't want to tell your mom about. because <laughs> uh, I I actually worked there for a year and a half before I told my parents wow. that I was working there. So I knew that they would not support. Uh, me working at Planned Parenthood, I knew that they wouldn't like it, so I, I kept it real quiet. So now you you find out that in fact they have an abortion quota. They're trying to edge up. Were they trying to talk people into abortions? Oh yeah, yeah. Whatever <laughs> we could do, um, you know, you give them discounts. You apply this this money to this, and anything you could do to get them to keep their abortion appointment, to schedule it that day. Um, 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very coercive, very manipulative. And, and unfortunately, you don't really even see it when you're when you're inside of it, when uh -huh. you're uh, sort of working there and living that. But uh, so manipulative, you know, for instance, just an example, uh, we charged one hundred and fifty dollars for an ultrasound for women to have an ultrasound. We didn't show her the ultrasound or, or anything like that. It was just we did the ultrasound so that we would know how far along she was in her pregnancy so that we would know how much to charge her for the abortion. But um, she had to pay $150. So what we'd say is, well, you've already paid $150. So what I can do is I can actually credit that $150 to your abortion procedure if you go ahead and schedule today. Otherwise, you lose the $150. Wow. And so it's, you know, it's really you become a, a salesperson uh, for abortion. And it, is is the idea of that profit, or is it the, yeah. the it's profit? Okay, yeah, it's profit. I mean, <clears throat> you pay the clinic on average pays about um, about ninety five dollars per abortion. That's their cost, but they're charging anywhere from four to seven hundred dollars for a first trimester abortion. So it's it's you know uh, low cost, high profit. It, it's their lowest cost, highest profit item on their ticket. Wow. Wow. So is this what made you begin to change your mind? Yeah, it was one of the things. Um, but ultimately I left, uh, in October of 2009 after witnessing a live ultrasound guided abortion procedure where I saw a 13 week old baby fight and struggle for his life against the abortion instruments and try to move away from those abortion instruments and, and protect his life. And uh, that was something I'd never I'd never seen before. I'd never been shown that before. There's a reason they don't use ultrasound during the abortion procedure. They don't want people to see that. And um, I just knew then that this wasn't just simply abortion. This was, you know, we could sterilize it and use whatever terms we wanted to, but that I had just watched the intentional killing of an innocent human being. And I thought, you know, I've got to get out of this. I, I just, I can't do this anymore. So I ended up, um, resigning. And when I, when I left and Planned Parenthood found out that I was no longer in support of abortion, they actually took me to court. Uh, they, they tried to sue me because I became pro-life. Um, wait, what was, which, what, what was the basis of the lawsuit? Uh, they were concerned that I was going to go out and, and share details of my time with Planned Parenthood, which in hindsight, I guess was smart of them. Um, considering that that's pretty much all I do now. But um, at the time, I, I actually had no desire to tell my story or, or talk about what I had seen. But when they sued me, that lawsuit got picked up by the AP. And that was then what really caused me to be shot out into the media to really start telling my story. So they, they sort of shot themselves in the foot there. That's interesting. You know, when I Googled you to prepare for this interview, the first story that comes out is, a, is a, an attempt, I thought a, a kind of shabby attempt, to discredit you by saying it, it makes no sense that you had never seen an ultrasound abortion up if you've been working there a year and a half. Have you seen this story? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. the top story. Yeah, that um, is the top, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, it's funny because ultrasound guidance during an abortion is very, very rare. It, I, I don't, I know very few people who have worked in, in an abortion clinic that have actually seen an ultrasound guided abortion. Abortions are generally performed in a blind manner. 
So the doctor has the, the cannula, the suction tube. He blindly inserts that into the woman's uterus. He blindly pokes around in her uterus until he thinks he has enough blood and tissue in a glass jar. So it's no wonder that we see such a high rate of uterine perforation inside of abortion clinics where the doctor literally will poke a hole through the woman's uterus because he cannot see what he's doing. Mm. It's all blind. And, and, you know, using an ultrasound during an abortion is, of course, safer for the patient. Um, and I remember being told that and going to my boss and asking her, you know, if this is safer for patients, why isn't this the standard of care inside of the abortion industry? And she said, well, she said it is safer, but she said to use an ultrasound during the abortion takes up about an extra three minutes of time. And see, our goal at Planned Parenthood was to have a woman on and off the table, abortion complete in five minutes. Mm -hmm. So if you're performing, you know, 40 to 60 abortions a day, you don't have an extra three minutes of time uh, per patient. And so that's why using an ultrasound is, is just terribly uncommon inside of the clinics because it takes a little extra time. So what do you do now? What is the center of your, uh, of your work? Where, where do you direct your work? Yeah, so I started a nonprofit a few years ago called And Then There Were None. And our goal is to get abortion clinic workers out of the abortion industry, mm. get them into life-affirming work, get them talking, get them hooked up to attorneys, state agencies, whoever, mm. and get these abortion clinics closed down. And so uh, we have had almost 500 workers come through our organization uh, in the past six years seven full-time abortion doctors um, who have left. And we have we have been able to effectively close down 21 abortion clinics um, because of the testimony of these former workers. Wow, and now do they come to you or do you reach out to them? Both, uh, we're pretty proactive. You know, we try to reach into the clinics, we do mailers, we send postcards, we make phone calls. Um, the people that go on the sidewalks and, and peacefully pray, pray um, outside of abortion clinics, we also train them on how to effectively reach out to those who work in abortion clinics. Um, but, you know, a lot of it is word of mouth. So if we can get one out of one clinic, we can generally get multiple people mm. out of one clinic. Um, so, you know, we have effectively been able to shut down a clinic because we drain them of every single employee they had, including the abortion doctor. And the, do these people say, you know, like, uh, you know, this was bothering me, my conscience, or do they say, I didn't think about it until you contacted us? What, where do they stand usually? Yeah, it's both. I mean, sometimes there's a traumatic event that happens in the clinic, like a baby born alive and then suffocated or... Um, we had a situation where a set of quadruplets were actually aborted in a clinic and the, the staff uh, was saw that yeah. um, and caused them to leave. So sometimes it's an event uh, that causes people to say, what the heck are we doing here? Um, a lot of times people get involved in these clinics not even knowing it's an abortion clinic. Um, they aren't told till after they got the job that, by the way, uh, we give out birth control, but we also do abortions a couple times a week. Um, and, and sometimes it's just sort of blindness, you know, they're just like, it's a job. I'm a single mom. I've got kids to feed. They're paying my insurance. I just have to keep doing this, mm. um, sort of a willful ignorance. But then when they realize there's a way out and that we can help them get another job, that we can help them financially transition, then they take us up on our offer and leave. Well, Abby, I have to stop here. I'm sorry. I'm out of time, but uh, that's a really fascinating conversation. Really fascinating story. I thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot.
I got to end with this story uh, from CNN. CNN's Ariva Martin was doing a radio interview uh, on David Webb's show on Sirius uh, XM. And uh, she's talking to Webb and she accuses him that in going around and going and getting the jobs that he's gotten when he was applying for media jobs, he was benefiting from white privilege. You got to hear this interview. I've chosen to cross different parts of the media world, done the work so that I'm qualified to be in each one. I never considered my color the issue. I considered my qualifications the issue. Well, David, you know, that that's a whole nother long conversation about white privilege and things that you have the privilege of doing that people of color don't have the privilege of. How do I have the privilege of white privilege? David, by virtue of being a white male, you have white privilege. This whole long conversation, I don't have time to Uh, get into Ariva, I hate to break it to you, but you should have been better prepped. I'm black. Okay, then... I stand See, you went to white privilege. This is the falsehood in this. You went immediately with an assumption. Your people, obviously, or you didn't look. You're talking to a black man. <laughs> the thing is, I think she was caught out in something bigger than just poor research. She was caught out in a mistake of the left's values. See, she thinks he's white because he's he's uh, talks he's a hardworking guy. He, she, he, she's talking about the color of his skin. He's talking about his hard work, his dedication, the fact that he made himself good at his job, his unwillingness to take prejudice uh, from some jerk he might have met along the way as indicative of the entire society to see himself as a victim. Those are the things that make people successful. Those are the things that probably made him successful. She sees that as white because the const- constantly the left is confusing color with values. Color is virtually meaningless. Values are everything. Behavior, ideas are everything. It was, a, it was hilarious. It was hilarious, but it also meant something. All right, the mailbag is tomorrow. I will still be here in Gainesville, Florida, and I'll be talking at the UF t- tonight, I guess it is. Uh, I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. I will see you Friday. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey, guys, on the uh, Matt Wall Show today, we're going to talk about Mike Pence's wife, Karen, who got a job at a private Christian school teaching art, and now the left is outraged about it. Um, the outrage itself is fake and stupid and ridiculous, but there's something ominous about it, which I really want to focus on. We'll talk about that. Also, should people ever really have to apologize for expressing an opinion, even a wrong opinion? I'll say no, and I want to explain why. And uh, finally, uh, I want to give you uh, uh, Kamala Harris, um, the, the, the Democrat. She had some deep and beautiful words of wisdom um, in an interview with ABC, and I think it'll change your life. I want to tell you about those as well today on The Matt Walsh Show.